things we've as a larger community might when i mean larger i'm talking maybe the united states i don't want to speak for everybody yeah. but a large part of the nation we've really put the burden of almost social work onto law enforcement respond to domestics figure it out solve it get a victim linked to domestic advocacy mm. services you know if they respond to a sexual assault be passionate and compassionate by responding to this person getting them linked with services respond to a mental health crisis officer and de-escalate take this person safely to the hospital but also on top of all that do your job enforce the law, stop drugs, stop weapons, stop school shootings. And it's time that we as social workers and mental health counselors take back some of the ownership of that and say, okay, right, you can still respond because let's be honest, they have to keep the scene safe, but let us help you respond to these sorts of calls and take the owners or the ownership of that response back to us and allow us to kind of help get somebody to be where they need to be. And that was Sarah Bong. Sarah is an employee at Endeavor Health Services. I had an opportunity to do a podcast with them and learn about their new programs. And before we get further into this episode, I just wanted to give you a little info on Endeavor. They asked if I would share some things with you, so I shall do that. I'm hoping that more people hear about this program because I believe this is what we really need. We need the police force working hand in hand with people who are experienced in dealing with and working with people who struggle with mental health issues and substance use issues. So I think it's a super important program and we'll get right to it after this little information about Endeavor. They are a private, not-for-profit, licensed behavioral health organization that serves individuals challenged by mental health and or substance use issues across their whole lifespan. Their mission at Endeavor is to collaborate with clients, children, adults, families, and communities to promote wellness and recovery through a variety of mental health and chemical dependency treatment, education, and support services. And as you'll find out more about in the podcast, Endeavor is partnering with the Buffalo Police Department to embed behavioral health clinicians in the department and really just to bridge the communication gap between the criminal justice system and the public, which, as you all know, this is a huge piece of what a lot of our issues are as a country right now. The goal of this is to provide immediate screening, assessment, de-escalation, and diversion for individuals in need of support due to mental illness, substance use, poverty, domestic violence, homelessness, abuse, and or trauma. Another objective of the program is to increase the overall trust, care management, and case management during police interactions. Again, if you have turned on the television once over the last few months, this is such an important piece. Endeavor's mission is to thoroughly help develop alternative response plans. As I talk with Sarah, they have three full-time clinical staffs there. They have a program manager, and they team up with six police officers and two lieutenants from the Buffalo Police Department to form the behavioral health team. The team works under the direction of Captain Amber Beyer, the Crisis Intervention Team Coordinator for the Buffalo Police Department. If you have paid any kind of attention to the mental health in the police department over the few years, you know who Captain Amber Beyer is. And the Buffalo Police Benevolent Association recently approved the formation of this behavioral health team. So this is really cool, man. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear about this because, again, I feel like this is what we need. I feel like with this program, individuals that have emotional stress, trauma, abuse, whether you're even struggling with homelessness or any other kind of mental illness, will have access to the appropriate services dedicated to their needs. They will be given the necessary tools to receive collaborative and clinical care, especially those who have difficulties accessing it. You'll hear Sarah talk about at the team and how they will overlook trends in order to intervene before emergency situations arise. They will also avoid involuntary transport of individuals by engaging them in treatment, 
as well as diverting them from the ER with hopes to change the pattern of ER overutilization. So as you know, and again, you're gonna hear Sarah talk about this, so I don't know why I'm continuing to talk about it, but it was just, it was, it was exciting to me. For referrals or appointments, contact Endeavor's central intake. I will leave the phone number in the description, but it is really quick, 716-895-6701. And you can visit their website, and that is ehsny.org for more info. Again, I will have all this in the, the description. From what I've learned, Endeavor's been serving the community of Western New York, I think since 1972, which is, is, which is awesome. They're a private, not-for-profit behavior health organization that serves individuals challenged by mental health and substance use issues. They are one of 13 certified community behavioral health clinics in New York State, and they have the highest outcome on the most number of metrics across all of the CCBHCSs, which is a mouthful, which is Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinics. They have a history of successful collaborative partnerships with community organizations, hence this, including being one of four founding members of Value Network, an independent practice association. Last year, they served over 5,000 clients and provided almost 52,000 visits to clients in Erie, Genesee, Niagara, Orleans, and Monroe counties, which is in Monroe County, I believe is Rochester. But you can find all of that stuff on their website. So check out the links, show them some support. I think this program needs a ton more support. I feel like it should be so much bigger than what it is already. Now more than ever, we need a program like this. So check it out and see what you can do to help get this program moving, pass it along, share it with people, because I believe this is important. All right. Enjoy, guys. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Sarah, I usually tell people you can go like a, these are very like low microphones, so they don't pick up a lot of noise. So you can get pretty close to it and not worry about blowing the speaker out. Beautiful. Can I tell you, I feel like it's the Joe Rogan experience right here. Yeah, totally. I do. These are, the, these are the mics he uses. Are they really? Can I uh, confess to you? That's the reason why I got these mics. Stop it. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I love Joe Rogan is just a, well, he's not just, but he does a lot of podcasts. So yeah, I've been, I've been. He was the first podcast I listened to like Same. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a good show. A lot of awesome. I've met, I've discovered, not met, I've discovered a lot of awesome people. Same. Like from some of the scientists and psychologists he has. I love it. Yep. You know? Yep. And it's he's consistent too, which is nice. Like it's, he is, yeah. you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah. That's kind of honestly like why I kind of modeled this because I always felt like you're always with that podcast, you were having a conversation with them. Yes. Like at the table. And I remember I got a, a comment once on the podcast and they're like, I love your show. The best part about it is I feel like I'm having coffee with you and your guest. I'm like, yes, that's what I want. Yeah, know? absolutely. That's what I kind of wanted because it's conversation. So. Right. Right. So yeah, I remember I reached out to you on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This was, I lost track of time, but this was a little bit ago. I think right when everything happened, because there was an yeah. article in the news and I seen it. Mm-hmm. And you completely ignored me and told me to go to hell. I said, bye. I don't know who and- this is. <laughs> Next. No, I'm kidding. But it's so funny. It ended up happening anyway. So yep. here we are. And thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. I'm yeah, grateful. Absolutely. So you're part of this whole new thing, right? Nobody else has really done this yet as far as yeah, when it, treatment providers? Yep. When it comes to embedding a clinician that can provide those clinical services at, at a police department, we are the first one to do it here locally. It's really a national and international model that we really wanted to take up and, and make sure that we were addressing here. I mean, that's, a, I think, a key tool now more than ever. Absolutely. That we need. We need some people working together. Yeah. 
as opposed to like these separate entities all around that have different points of views. I mean, I think that's such a difficult thing as human beings. We don't want to ever like give a little bit. Right. You know, and when so when we're working with people with different point of view on something, you know, mental health and substance use is criminal justice, you know, mm -hmm. I think in order to gain progress, you have to kind of give a little. And yeah, so kudos to you guys here at Endeavor for doing that. I think that's a huge piece of moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's part of kind of either the social worker or the mental health counselor's training is to really look at how to integrate those systems, right? And those mindsets, because each culture that we're working with or body of people that we're working with has a culture to it. In any work that we do with them, we have to take that into account, right? So in our graduate school training, we learn about different cultures and how to integrate them into services. And so it's really kind of taking that skill set and applying it to a police department. Yeah, that's, that's a great uh, topic to be taught. Because that's what it's all about, understanding other people's cultures. Right. And letting that be okay. All right, we don't have the same thing in mind, but let's work together. Yeah. To, I guess, we do have the same thing in mind, ultimately, just different ways to get there. Right, right. And it sometimes it's a challenge of perspective, right? Is what perspective is this person that we're interacting with coming from and how is that impacting our interaction? And if we have a better sense of where that person might be coming from or what they've been through, our interaction will be smoother because we're able to take their perspective into account. It's huge. Yeah, language is a funny thing because sometimes you can be arguing about something and then figure out you're both trying to accomplish the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I focus on language a lot, even with the clinicians that I work with, but with everybody. It's, you know, my the least favorite word I have is should in the English mm. language. It's just so detrimental. And really, our, our choice of words informs our thinking. Whether we realize it or not, it, it has a large impact on our actions. So it's important to be very careful and mindful of our word choice. Yeah, some, I'm trying to remember the person... Might have been Terrence McKenna that talked to us. Remember him saying the world is made of language. Mm. And I was like, what does that really mean? And then you think about it. It's like everything has a name just because we all agreed to call it that thing. Yeah. The water has no idea. It's water tree has no idea. So when you get into more abstract language, whatever it is, especially when it comes to society and everything, things can really get uh, twisted yeah. and weird. So good thing you're here. That's good. And before we go way too deep into um, philosophical I know because I was just going there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's go run me through a day in your life. So what, you know, what your job is, what you're doing, you know, if you, how you're educating and yeah. you know, we can just start with that. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I'm kind of wearing two different hats. I'm still the clinician for the Chictawaga Police Department, but I'm also transitioning into the program manager for our police behavioral health response teams here at Endeavor. Okay, so that's expanding then. Yes, okay. yeah. So we started out in Chictawaga and then we were able to really partner with Buffalo Police to have three clinicians stay there full time. Awesome. And so when I'm kind of fully in that program manager role, I'll be overseeing all four of those clinicians. So Chictawaga and Buffalo PD. And I wish I could give you a specific example of what a day in the life looks like. You know, <laughs> we have ideas, right? We want to come into our job. We want to be able to look through police reports. Um, we want to look at kind of the trends that are happening to see if police are interacting with the same individuals experiencing kind of mental health or substance use crisis and kind of scan for trends because those are the individuals that we really want to target. While that's happening, at the same time, we're looking at calls that are kind of active within mm -hmm. the city and within the town of Chictawaga and triaging them to say, okay, this call is happening right now. Do we need to be there? Or are the officers that are arriving on scene first, do we need to reach out to them to give them some, you know, maybe tips or communication tools to talk with this individual? Or are those officers going to call on us to join them on scene to help de-escalate things and really link people with those clinical care services? So ideally, you know, it'd be nice if we, I could say every morning for two hours, <laughs> you know, we came in the office and sat down and looked at reports from the previous day or weekend, but it, it really is just going to depend on what's happening that day. I think so basically any, every 911 call you could uh, have to go out, huh? Potentially. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think 
the more we kind of progress just in time, we're seeing the community lean on 911 for that exact service. Mm -hmm. um, and we are seeing the potential. You know, even when police respond to domestics, I'm a little biased, but I could argue that there is an opportunity for a counselor to be there to help in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of need for it. It's so funny because the more you think about this, like, why haven't we been doing this forever? Yeah. Like, why, why have we been sending police officers with no mental health education or training to some scenes where potentially, honestly, probably a very high percentage of the time, somebody is struggling with a mental health challenge? Yeah. And I wish that was a clear cut answer, too. But it, there's so many things that play into that for people. You know, the, the stigma that comes with mental health mm -hmm. is a large part of that. And families oftentimes struggle to really reach out for help beforehand because we all want to handle our own. You know, we want to manage our home and do the best we can. But when it really reaches that time for crisis, that's when we see people call 911 as we're socially conditioned when there's an emergency to pick up the phone and call 911 and then there's an officer response, right? Mm -hmm. And there's some pretty different opposing viewpoints historically between you know those who work in mental health and social work and law enforcement. So it, it makes sense to me why it's taken this long. You know, it's unfortunate it's taken this mm -hmm. long, but it kind of, it makes sense as to why things have played out the way that they have. But we're in a really pivotal time to change that. No, we definitely are. And I think it's super important to change it because oh, it's been, sometimes it's frustrating when you look at some of the stigma that is still out there. Yeah. And, how, how we're handling things and the beliefs of so many people and mm -hmm. but we're not gonna we're not gonna go there either we're right. gonna stay away from politics yeah. and philosophy today <laughs> but one thing i will say you know about just stigma in general mm -hmm. right we, we were talking about language choice and my big thing that's important for people to look at is it's not necessarily somebody who's bipolar or somebody who's schizophrenic they have bipolar they have schizophrenia so that's a big part of what we do is kind of that on the spot training with law enforcement is to really be careful of the language we're using to model the behavior and the language that we want officers to use. Yeah, I think that's one of the easiest and biggest ways to help change is just the language we use. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think it really, it holds. I mean, I remember changing the language that I had to use when, with myself. Mm. I remember being in jail and like, all right, I can't keep talking to myself like this because right. that's never going to switch any kind of mindset up. If, if I keep saying it, I'm going to believe it. So why not try it the opposite way? Yeah. But yeah, words stick with you very very for a very long time it can be very heavy mm -hmm. something so simple this little mouth noise that we make <laughs> absolutely can affect people so i think you know that's a that's a huge piece of it uh, for sure for right. sure so do you do you hold like kind of educational things as well at the stations are you, you know how are you going about training the police officers there is a core level of training that they get called CIT training. We don't provide that training at this point. Um, that's really something that crisis services is managing, and they're doing a good job of training officers in okay. that crisis intervention team model. We're doing a lot of kind of just on-the-spot training, a lot of updating at briefings. You know, we'll go into meetings, whether it be the chief meetings or kind of the command staff meetings. Mm -hmm. And really, when the officers have briefings, that's kind of our opportunity there to go in. And it's really short bursts of training because we got to keep people's attention too. So yeah. <laughs> if it's, you know, if it's about whether how to interact with somebody or just a refresher on some de-escalation skills or even just, you know, kind of revisiting how to talk to somebody about suicide, we want to make sure that we're just providing those skills in short bursts. Um, we haven't at this point done more extensive training, but that doesn't mean we're not going to. It's mm -hmm. just in terms of where we're at specifically with Buffalo, we just haven't gotten there. Yeah. Well, it's all brand new to you guys. So you're kind of you Absolutely. Know, figuring out what works as you go. And 
yep. I'm sure that makes it fun because I love that part of what what I've been starting to build myself is that yeah. whole, not really sure what's going to happen next. This might work, this might not, but we'll see. Yep. And, you know, again, kudos to you guys because I think this is such, I can't say it not, it's such an important piece to what we need done around here. I mean, there's so many, I fall into it because I've experienced both sides. So I've been in jail, I've been in treatment, you know, now coming out the last few years, I've been working with treatment providers. So I have seen the beautiful sides of both of them and the bad sides of both. And there are a lot of, you know, I fall all the time into this trap that all police officers are this, this or that mm-hmm. all the time. Like I have to always remind myself because I've been around and some a high majority of them are very arrogant and narcissistic. But I know that's not true for all of them. I know there's good people out there. I know a few good cops. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of look at them like, oh, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Anyway, so I, you know, I do know that. So what has been your general experience? Has people, a lot, majority of people been accepting of this? Yeah. Do you see a lot of hard-headedness? It's a good question, right? So as you kind of briefly mentioned, the community has a general perception of law enforcement. Well, that's always so interesting to me because law enforcement has a general perception of us. And I use the term social workers very loosely to just capture everybody in the mental health field. There's the perception that we are kind of the tree-hugging hippie social workers, (laughs) right? And that's a fairly common misconception Mm -hmm. amongst law enforcement about us. So I think step one, having the awareness that you're walking into a culture that has a pretty heavy in-group, out-group kind of dynamic to it is important. And the reception, you know, it's not overwhelmingly positive, but it's not overwhelmingly negative either. You know, it's it's very much like, okay, here are these counselors here to help us. Uh, Let me sit back and watch what they can do for us to help us out. And it's it's very cautious. It's it's very much a cautiously optimistic perspective Mm -hmm. from law enforcement. But once we as a team really start to show like our value, what we can do, how we can help out, you see a very quick turnaround. You know, one of the best things about law enforcement officers is their ability to cope. You know, they're great at compartmentalizing things. So the moment that they recognize that, hey, this team of counselors, they're here to help, they can immediately be like, all right, they're part of us. They're part of the team. Mm-hmm. They get it. They know what they're doing. They are now part of kind of this this community of providing service to the larger city residents. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I think there is, again, that, that general consensus of what police officers are, and now more so than ever, I mean, with everything that's going on. And it's just, I mean, what, what a tough time it is yeah. to, be, to be doing all of this. I mean, especially the work with, you know, everything that's going on. So yeah. what else do you see that's happening you know, what, what are you guys kind of struggling to get around and work through? Right now, it's just about the community knowing that we're available too. You know, and I wouldn't yeah. say it's so much a struggle. It's just that's kind of where we are in the process. One of the big important things about any type of work like this is for the community to know that when they call upon law enforcement to help them during a mental health or substance use crisis is that there's going to be follow-up now from a clinician. Okay. And that there is that's going good. to be. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's like when police leave, it's it's over on scene, but that doesn't mean that somebody isn't available to help out. You know, the clinicians that are up there are clinicians that can do intakes in the field. They can do Mm -hmm. crisis intervention and some psychotherapy assessments and a variety of other assessments. So just because the scene kind of ends and things are de-escalated, that doesn't mean that the help is gone. The help is still there. We just need the community to know that we'll be there to follow back up. Well, that's huge. Yeah. And that's awesome. So you could actually potentially after say something happens on scene, things kind of die down and that person needs some mental health treatment or even, you know, substance use, you can get them in intake and get them in residence and everything else kind of just right there and then. Yeah. And that's, you know, access to treatment is 
a huge barrier, yeah. particularly for special areas of the city. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we can eliminate those barriers to the extent that we're able. And you know, for people who haven't been involved in a clinic setting for mental health or substance use treatment, it can kind of be odd, right? People aren't really taught about what to expect the first time they walk into therapy. Yeah. And people don't often realize that your first time is a lot of assessments, a lot of kind of rapid fire questions. It's uncomfortable. You walk in expecting to be able to kind of dump your bucket, if you will, of life and start to really get to work. But that's not often what happens in the first couple assessments. So we have the ability to go into somebody's home or meet them somewhere where, you know, it's easier for them, whether it's the library or a Tim Hortons. And assuming that they're willing and able, if we can't guarantee confidentiality in those settings, mm-hmm. start that intake process and, and really make sure that they're comfortable. And we can kind of get that stuff out of the way. So when they start coming into a clinic and meeting with their counselor, they're getting right to the core of the work. Yeah, what a great, great piece to add to that. That's that's awesome. We want to make sure it's a transition and we want to make sure the clinic counselors too know what's going on in the community because there's another big gap in the system is sometimes counselors and this is not a fault of the counselors there's just a gap in communication about Mm -hmm. what's happening in the community versus what's happening in clinic and so sometimes we can be here to bridge that gap as well i think it's important to really get the word out hopefully this itself this podcast helps too because people don't know it's there obviously they're definitely never going to use it right what are you guys kind of doing to try to promote it right now it's funny you bring that up we actually are working on some like promotional materials right now. Okay. But we admittedly with Buffalo, we're starting to just target officers, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. step one is making sure all officers are where we're here. After that, it's going to be making sure we follow up with people who have interacted with the officers. So whether it's phone call, letter, visit in person, and then through that starting to kind of leave some information and send letters and say, hey, you know, you went through a recent crisis, we're here to help and making sure that it gets out that way. We never want to put up a billboard because we want to make sure that we can meet the needs, so to yeah. speak. I'm, and I, I'm speaking particular to this type of program. We want to make sure that it's targeted to reach those individuals who would benefit from the service. Because Endeavor as a whole, we're here to address the Western New York and larger community. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to this specific program, we want to make sure we're targeting those who are interacting with the police. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's everything is brand new. Right. And to try to expand it huge when you don't actually know what could actually go wrong, I think is... Right. important as well. Yeah, it's and particularly with this type of work, it's important to be mindful of that expansion, right? Mm-hmm. And do it in a planful way that's kind of tactical, for lack of a better term, and, and one that makes sense for both the police department and us as Endeavor Health Services. Awesome. What else What else do you think people need to know about this program? It's a program where, you know, we're in the formative stages, but we really want to make sure that if there's something going on, we can access people. It's, it's a lot of coordination of communication mm-hmm. is a big part of it, right? So for those individuals who might find that rotating door of ECMC for that immediate stabilization, if we can bridge that communication gap to stop that from happening, that's a big part of what we do as okay. well. You know, if I could paint a general picture, I don't know of even what colors I would choose at the exact moment (laughs) just because the job itself is so versatile and we want to make sure that we're again just addressing the needs and tailoring what we can do to the community itself you know just because something worked in Cheektowaga doesn't Doesn't necessarily yeah yeah, it doesn't mean it's gonna work in Buffalo so we want to make sure we're keeping our approach kind of strict to that particular community okay and you first started in Cheektowaga correct correct that was like the first spot and yep when did you move on over into Buffalo 
Ooh. Or is that kind of a transition still? Question. Yeah. No, we we moved into Buffalo. We were starting talks last year, I want to say, just about. But we have formally put the clinicians in Buffalo in the beginning of August. Okay. So they were they went through some training. They had to shadow me. I'm sorry for them. But they, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they had to shadow me a little bit and kind of get a feel for what the job would be like before we transitioned them over to Buffalo. And Chictawaga was gracious enough to allow us the opportunity to train them in their setting. And they're really a great setting for that because you get kind of a little bit of the taste of the speed and intensity of type of cases yeah, in Chittawaga, yep. but then you just get that amplified in Buffalo. So we were able to transition them really smoothly over to Buffalo and have them start doing the work there. Great. Yeah. So I'm somebody who's whatever, struggling with uh, schizophrenia mm. and the cops end up coming and things get hairy. Do they just kind of radio back to have you call them or, you know, what does that process look like? Right now, they're calling into our office's phone number and one of the clinicians okay. will be dispatched for that. When we have the full um, team up and running, and by that I mean we have the officer part counterparts for the clinician, dispatch can actually radio out for a, a BHT, a behavioral health team unit. Okay. At that point, um, an officer with the clinician will be sent to the scene. And really that partnership form until, like I said, until mm -hmm. we have our Buffalo counterparts, okay. it's a phone call. But So are you trying to like plan it so that each like police officer has a counselor that they connect with? And call back to and report to kind of or communicate yeah. to? If we did that, we'd need a ton more counselors. But right now, it's very much we're going to have a team of six officers, ideally, okay. um, for the unit. Maybe a couple of supervisors. You know, I there's room for change in that. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the general outline. At that point, the clinicians will be paired with that team. But any officer in the city could call upon that team, the behavioral okay. health or the BHT team for assistance. That's great. That's sweet. Why, why did you get into this? You know, that's a, I, I don't get asked that question a whole lot. And I'm not <laughs> sure I found a like a solid concrete answer. But what's important for me is that, you know, in my undergraduate studies, I was looking at law enforcement culture in general. And I was noticing trends in terms of perspective. I was noticing trends in terms of response. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating to me. I'm very interested in pathology of both those that we respond to, of crisis responders and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So I did an internship with the Buffalo City Courts Program. Still at that point in my undergraduate career, trying to figure out where I'm going to fit in. Uh, then I moved from there. I worked at crisis services for around six years. And it, through my experience in that crisis response work, I was like, okay, it's the speed and intensity of responding to active mental health crisis that mm -hmm. I enjoy. But as I entered my master's program, I realized that I like to make sure systems work properly and make sure that systems are working effectively with one another. And that's where I recognized, hey, we have a big gap between mental health and law enforcement. But then I often look at the training too. This is something that didn't hit me until a little bit later as I'm mm -hmm. following this career journey of mine, that social workers, mental health counselors, and law enforcement training is really similar. You know, with the exception of weapons and defensive tactics that law enforcement get, mm -hmm. the communication training between the two is freakishly similar and neither really? side really recognizes that. And so that was like, okay, there's a communication gap here that there's more similarities in what's taught about communication than they recognize so let's try to close that a little bit so that's kind of like the career journey but I honestly the one big part of why I do this work I, I remember very distinctly I was eight years old and my father asked me at eight what do you want to be when I grow up and my answer was a psychologist and I don't know where <laughs> any eight-year-old gets that idea from honestly and I haven't figured that out yet but that's hysterical I just knew that for it's important for me that when people are in their darkest moment they have something there that's Table, right mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that 
I am that person, right? I'm not trying to suggest that that's the case, but there's an organization, there are people out there to help. And if we can reach those people when they're in this really dark space, that's an amazing thing. And, you know, we as Endeavor have been able to bring that now to the community so that when people are experiencing that darkness, there is an opportunity to intervene and an opportunity to say, hey, if you want help, we're here. And we are more than willing to do what we got to do to get you Mm -hmm. to where you want to be because it's ultimately about the clients we're serving and what their goals are. So that's a really long-winded answer to I'm not really <laughs> sure and I've always wanted to be in psychology in some form. You wanted to be a psychologist. Yeah, it's me. still on the table. It's not, right? It's 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 an it option is. for us. We can do this. It is. It absolutely is. I'm trying to get UB shout out to pay for my doctorate <laughs> degree. I haven't heard back from you, Nancy Smith. No, don't put that in there. But that's my goal is pay for me to become a doctor in social work and I'll teach oh, for you. So how many more years would you need? If I went for a doctorate in social work, 45 more years? No, it's actually only three. They have a part-time doctorate program. If it was psychology, it would be like four to five Mm -hmm. more years. So it just depends what comes next for me. That's cool. So what where do you what do you have planned for your uh, like f- as far as moving forward? Moving forward, I want to create as much sustainability as possible with this program, right? People are often very well intended when it comes to working with police and partnering with law enforcement. But one of the biggest and important things is okay, we're providing a service. The service is going great. The community loves the service. Now, how do we make the service sustainable so that we don't necessarily have to rely on police departments or municipalities to always kind of have a hand in the pot, if you will, which is great. We encourage it, you know, to, mm-hmm. be, to be part of the team. But we want to make sure that we're providing something that is low cost and not hugely impactful to the community. So how do we do that? So that's my goal moving forward is we're doing excellent work. But how do we make it self-sustaining in a way that doesn't place the burden necessarily on the community itself? Yeah, you're kind of like me. I love the whole systems thinking approach mm-hmm. as the CEO, how everything is kind of connected and communicates with each, with each other. Yeah. Yeah, that was my one of my favorite parts of having a business. And then when I, once I started like kind of having some sort of business, not that I'm, you know, making it rain right now, yeah. but um, <laughs> it never <laughs> you know, is I had when to you organize and I had to create my own system because you can't yep. find a YouTube video on your business because everybody's business is just slightly different enough where you have to take different approaches. Exactly. So it took me a long time, but I, I love that stuff. How does the system work? How is it talking to every step of it? And right. that's always fun. Yeah. That's, which is probably why I went from video production, which I do love, but to more like uh, illustration and typography and graphic design, because it's always, it's very creative, but scientific and precise. So yeah. And in social work, we call that like meso level work, right? There's micro, (laughs) meso, macro. And so when you get to be in that meso and macro phase, it is very creative, right? Mm Because you know the tiny little parts to it, but you got to be able to pick up those tiny parts, whether it's individual patrol officers or individual community members, or, you know, you're having a challenge in a police district versus Mm -hmm. the individual officers then how do you get the districts to recognize that you have a team and then how do you get those parts to integrate into the larger information Mm -hmm. system that law enforcement uses and so all of those steps is a really intricate dance in how to make it all work it is yeah and every step is fragile i always like speaking of culture it's almost like culture and the economy itself is a living entity yeah and you can do one thing and no matter what you do it's going to affect it and pull it one way or the other and as soon as it becomes unbalanced totally it's like so again kudos to you because you're in like this 
dealing with two cultures, trying to bring them together and yeah. make them work together. So that's challenging. It is challenging. It's a really worthwhile. I find it a worthwhile no, challenge. It, well, I get, I get that part of it too. Yeah, it's, it's great because once you are able to show people how much they have in common, whether mm-hmm. they're the, the community mental health workers, the law enforcement or the community itself, there's so much in common there. And we forget that when you look at that and that we all really just want the best for one another, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, it's almost like you kind of slap yourself on the forehead and be like, duh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many of these police officers have kids or family members that have struggled with not only substance use, but mental health as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is. There's always some common ground. Yeah. You just got to be willing to find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Which is tough, which is so funny to say. I mean, in this day and age when, again, we're not going down the political road, but everything is just so either this black and white to people, like you're either this or you're that, and nobody wants to work together. So yeah, very important role. And it, you know, you bring up a good point too, that sometimes that I call black and white thinking, not necessarily, not related to race, but just concrete thinking is probably a better term for it. And that when people think about things in silos, it's difficult to see those commonalities. Mm -hmm. But And that's where we really come in as those mental health counselors to say, okay, hold up. We're not as separate here as we think you know, we, there is a way to help. There is a way to make the system work. Let's just figure out what that is and how to reduce kind of the separation of parties and blend it together a little bit more. Yeah. What were some of those, um, when you kind of first started diving into this, what were some of those um, commonalities of communication that was being taught between social work and the police? Yeah. Yep. And it's a good question. And I'll never forget when I was in class and my graduate studies and I was like, wait a second, we just taught this in the law enforcement academy. I don't understand. (laughs) When it comes to, we call it in the social work world, empathy, right? Mm-hmm. In the law enforcement world, they're calling it emotional labeling, which is kind of the definition of empathy, right? <laughs> but if you walk in front of a group of law enforcement officers and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to teach you to be empathetic, there's an immediate like, nope, you know, we yeah. don't need to be empathetic. Okay. But yep. if you go in there and you say, hey, I'm going to teach you how to uh, negotiate a hostage situation through emotional labeling, they're going to perk up, right? That skill is the same thing in terms of recognizing what the other person is going through and what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. But how you pose it to each group is going to be a little bit different. Um, some of the other kind of counselor skills, paraphrasing, summarizing, these are all skills that are taught to law enforcement officers to be able to effectively communicate with another individual. Um, you know, we even go as far as teaching effective pausing, mm-hmm. right, and allowing silence. That might be one of the hardest things, both for counselors and law enforcement officers. For any officers. human being, that is, that is tough Absolutely. sometimes, yeah. And if you ask the people on my team, they'll tell you I use it a little too much. Sometimes I make them uncomfortable, but <laughs> I find it a really effective strategy just to allow somebody especially when they're in a mental health crisis, just a moment of thought, right? Just take a second. You ask the question, you count to 30, you allow the person to compose their thoughts and then provide you an answer. And that's a skill that's taught to both people, Hmm. right? Both law enforcement and mental health counselors. And it's a really effective communication skill. Yeah, that is funny sometimes, that awkward Mm-hmm. That awkward silence. <laughs> I love it. It's like well, you do. You got to you know be hosting a podcast, so I'm obviously always having these conversations, and people would be surprised. You know, it's an art form to learn how to host a podcast. You're constantly have to you have to practice it. You have to get good at it. And, yeah. You know, I always tell people you have to be completely deeply listening. As soon as you get distracted, you can take the conversation off course. Mm-hmm. And learning to do that is such a gift, you know, such a great tool Yeah. to be able to, all right, I know I have to figure out what kind of person am I talking to? You you made it easy, but sometimes you get some people who are kind of like uh, yeah. a little 
off track and you gotta like are they gonna say something else you're trying to guess and yeah you know so that's a yeah that's a great tool to learn well for anybody law enforcement's up against a huge battle when it comes to listening they have the radio going off it's probably Mm -hmm. right next to their ear they have probably a bunch of people on scene especially if somebody is in crisis right which most of the time they are when law enforcement is responding exactly and there's there's a lot of noise going on so for an officer to be able to focus in and listen to somebody while also paying attention to their safety everybody on scene safety listening to the radio their cell phone might be going off because their lieutenant's calling them about the call they're on i mean there's a huge amount of things going on so for an officer to listen is such a skill and there's so many officers that do it so well and it is incredible to watch the de-escalation happen even with all the barriers they have around them yeah i think that's again they have to worry about their lives too Mm -hmm. and that's I mean, I, again, I have the understanding. I get it. You know, we all have these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But a, a police officer, every time they pull somebody up for a parking ticket, have to worry about their lives. And it does take a lot of pressure. And you see why some of them kind of, you know, slip up. And I think we are now, as a society, are holding police officers like we do anybody else um, in the media, that they're not allowed to make mistakes. Not that there's been some inexcusable thing, have, haven't been inexcusable things, but, you know, I think that's something to understand because for us to go forward as a community, especially Western New York or any community, we need to all come together, figure it out, put our differences, find their commonalities and what can we do yeah. to be a stronger community. Well, and one of the things we've, as a larger community, when I mean larger, I'm talking maybe the United States. I don't want to speak for everybody, but a large part of the nation. We've really put the burden of almost social work onto law enforcement. Respond to domestics, figure it out, solve it. Get a victim linked to domestic advocacy Mm. services. You know, if they respond to a sexual assault, be passionate and compassionate by responding to this person, getting them linked with services. Respond to a mental health crisis officer and de-escalate, take this person safely to the hospital. But also on top of all that, do your job, enforce the law, stop drugs, stop weapons, stop school shootings. And it's time that we as social workers and mental health counselors take back some of the ownership of that and say, okay, right, you can still respond because let's be honest, they have to keep the scene safe, but let us help you respond to these sorts of calls and take the owners or the ownership of that response back to us and allow us to kind of help get somebody to be where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, oh, why haven't we been doing this? So it's great. It's starting. We are hugely excited to be able to continue to partner with law enforcement agencies and just really thankful for their willingness to take the opportunity to work with us at Endeavor. I think that can't go unspoken. Yeah. And that it's really the receptivity and the willingness of our law enforcement parties to include us as Endeavor into their systems is huge. And it would significantly behoove us to thank them behoove on that. Us. That's a good word. I like Instead it. of should, I'm telling you, you can't use the word should. You <laughs> got to say behoove. I like it. Yeah, so I say it would one. behoove you to pick up the clothes you left on the floor <laughs> <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh behoove. That is a good word. Mm-hmm. I'm tra- the first time I heard that w- that word, believe it or not, I'm trying to think how old I was. Because I, I tell people my brother and sister died when I was 15 in high school. So I kind of like checked out. So I'm intelligent with a lot of things. I'm like, wow, he, I can't believe he knows that. But then there's like some simple things. Yep. Like simple vocabulary sometimes. And I mean, my vocabulary has gotten much better. But the only reason I graduated high school was because my siblings died and my teachers probably felt sorry for me. So as I kind of developed this hunger for knowledge in yeah. my you know mid-20s, it's just, it's funny. Like, But I heard that word getting to this point that's taken me forever to get to. That's right. 
two and a half men. Really? Yes. I, I remember huh. hearing that word. I was like, what does that word mean? And I looked it up. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how long ago word. that show was out. But yeah. Well, I might have made a word up during this time. Planful, I think I said. I'm not sure that that's a word, <laughs> to be 100% honest with you. So you might want to fact check me before you use that. We're but good. It sounded good. As long as it sounds good, it counts. That's all that matters. It is. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. All right.